Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Faith Christian Podcast. At Faith Christian, our purpose is to help people find and follow Jesus. For more information about Faith Christian, check out our website, fccnp.org, or stop by on a Sunday morning. We'd love to meet you. Now we hope you enjoy this recent teaching from Faith Christian Church. Father, thank you for being the God who fights for us. God who looks after us, the God who wants the best for us. So Father, teach us to follow you, knowing that your ways are the best ways, that the following Jesus truly is the best way to live. Give us the courage to do that in a world that's hard to do. Give us the courage to be faithful to you uh, as you have been faithful to us. And now God, as we t- come to a time where we look at scriptures, we study your word today, when we hear from you. Would you move in us, move to our hands and feet so that we might be your church in this community. Move to our hearts and heads so we might have compassion on the world around us. See people the way you see people. And Father, most importantly again today, we pray that you would teach us how to love better. That's our prayer today in the name of Jesus. Amen. You can be seated. Again, it's great to see you this morning. Glad that you're here. Uh, thanks again for tuning in online. I do have a couple of announcements. And the first is kind of a little bit of family business, a little bit of housekeeping. Uh, some changes going on in our church staff that we want you to know about. Um, you guys know Andy. Uh, Andy's been our worship leader for about five years now. And uh, we've just found out that Andy and his wife, Amber, and their daughter, Sage, for some reason, are going to move to Alaska. Alaska! I thought it's cold here! But they are moving to Alaska, and so as such, Andy has uh, given us his resignation uh, as our worship minister. Uh, again, he's been here for about five years doing this and has done a phenomenal job and has led us. Uh, he's going to be around for a couple of weeks, which is important um, because we want you to have a chance to uh, thank him and Amber for all their work and love and ministry that they've uh, put, poured into this church for the, the, the last five years that he's been on staff, the last two years that you guys have been married, that Amber's been here w- with you. Um, but uh, we want you to have a chance to thank them, and he's not going away just yet, uh, but he is stepping down off our staff, which brings us to this person over here. Uh, This is Josie McCutcheon. A lot of you know her. Josie, like Andy, grew up in this church and was a product of our youth groups and Sunday schools and things like that for all the years that uh, that you can remember. And Josie has agreed to join our staff and take Andy's spot. And so we are thrilled, as as sad as we are about Andy, we are equally as thrilled that Josie is coming on to our team and is joining us and will be leading our musicians and our worship time and leading us uh, before the throne of God in our worship times each and every Sunday morning. Uh, like I said, Andy's going to be here for, uh, a few, uh, for a few, several more weeks, but the next couple of weeks, he will still be up on the platform with Josie, kind of easing this transition. Um, and she's getting to know everyone on the team, and, and uh, we're excited for what's going to happen, and we, uh, we know we're in great hands with Josie. So uh, we hope that you will thank Andy and welcome Josie all at the same time. So now you guys can go sit down. I made them very uncomfortable making them stand up here for so long. So you can go sit down. All right, go sit down. All right. So yeah, give Andy a hand. We're glad Josie's going to be here. And uh, this is uh, an exciting time. Um, I guess we'll just have to, and we don't have a church fan anymore. Maybe we'll, someday we'll buy a church fan and load up the church fan and all drive to Alaska together and say hi to Andy. So I'm not going to do that. Yeah, so airplanes, that's why, that's why God made airplanes. Hey, I also want to let you know uh, that tonight is our Low Country Boil. That is uh, scheduled to start at 5 o'clock. And uh, many of you have RSVP. We do still have some extra spaces. So if you didn't get a chance to RSV, RSVP, we want you to know you are still welcome to come. Bring the family tonight to the Low Country Boil. Yes, I know it's supposed to rain. And we are scheduled to do the Low Country Boil outside at the pavilion so we can have all the space and things like that. Uh, we will make that decision uh, early this afternoon. If 
if we're not outside, we will be here, inside. And so just plan to be here, a rain or shine. The Low Country Boil is a go tonight at 5 o'clock, and we look forward to spending that time uh, celebrating uh, the next part of our celebration of our 25th anniversary, uh, but just celebrating and being around one another, having some time of fellowship and some wonderful food. And we hope that you will be here and join us tonight at 5 o'clock. Uh, we are in a sermon series right now that we're calling Rugged and Raw. We, what we're doing this fall as a part of our 25th anniversary celebration, kind of leaning towards our November 13th uh, big, big final celebration of our 25 years, is we are taking a look at the church, some, some church history, some world history, some Bible history, some history of faith Christian church, to kind of tell the story about what, what the church is, what the church could be, what the church should be, what the church has been, and what the church, I think, is going to be in the future. And so I, I mean, I've been very excited about this conversation. And any conversation about the church, and if you've missed any of these, I, I really encourage you to go back, uh, get on our website, fccnp.org, subscribe to our podcast. You can pick up these messages um, that, you, that you may have missed because there's, some, I think, some pretty important information for us to know as we walk through these 10 weeks of this Rugged and Raw series together. Anyway, any conversation about the church has to center around a conversation about Jesus. It was Jesus, we learned in the first week, that said, I'm going to build my church. On this rock, I'm going to build my church. It was Jesus who predicted that there would be such a thing as the church. Um, any conversation about the, about, the, about the church is a conversation about, not about a building, but about a movement of Jesus's people. We are Jesus' people. Uh, we said last week, time and time again last week, and we'll, we'll re repeat this, I hope as long as I get the chance to be on this platform, that we as the church, we are the hands and feet of Jesus in this community today. The literal hands, your hands, are the hands of Jesus in Tuscarawas County. Your feet are the feet of those who bring good news uh, to, to the hurting and to the broken. And so what I want to do today is take a quick look at the impact that Jesus and the church Jesus' people, the hands and feet of Jesus, the impact that Jesus and the church have had on the world that you and I live in. Because the impact of Jesus, the impact of the church is still felt even 2,000 plus years after Jesus lived on the planet. So, so the question is, who was this man? Think about this for a second. It would be hard to pick a less obvious candidate to save the world. This man, Jesus, never held office. He never led an army. Jesus never wrote a book. Matter of fact, Jesus never even traveled more than about uh, maybe a couple hundred miles from his hometown. During his lifetime, when he was walking around on the planet, he was never known around the world, only in a small section of the world where he lived. And yet, here we are, you and me, today, 2,000 plus years later, on the other side of the globe, it is simply impossible to try to conceive of our world if Jesus had not been born. And I don't know what you think about Jesus or the church. I don't know what you know about Jesus, what your beliefs are about Jesus, but would you just today, would you with me consider the impact that Jesus and the church have had on the world? And it begins with the church, because Jesus gave the world its most influential movement. Whether you like that movement or not, whether you're a fan of the church or not, trying to imagine a world with no church. No Notre Dame's Cathedral, no St. Paul's, no Faith Christian, 
no storefront churches in big cities, no house churches in China. Imagine a world with no church. And then all of the people try to imagine history without the Apostle Paul or Timothy or Aquinas or Augustine or Francis of Assisi or Mother Teresa or Martin Luther or Martin Luther King Jr. or Dietrich Bonhoeffer or Joan of Arc or John Milton or John Wesley or John Calvin or John Bunyan or John the Baptist or, or Amy Moeller. Try to imagine a world without that. None of those people. But let's go back to the beginning. Back to the idea of the church. In the ancient world, there were a lot of different groupings of folks. There were nations, there were tribes, there were ethnic groups, there were guilds, there were philosophical schools, there were religions. The church was none of those things. Paul says this about the church in Colossians chapter 3. He says, there is no Greek or Jew, no circumcised or uncircumcised, no barbarian, Scythian. Nobody liked the Scythians. I think that's why he put that in there. No, no one likes Scythians. And barbarian and Scythian, nor slave nor free, but Christ is all and in all. The picture of the church that Paul paints here, it's the uh, small world ride at Disney World. That song will drive you insane. You ever get stuck on that ride? It'll be, you'll have PTSD from it, all right? But if you've ever been on that ride, the ride is a picture of people of every gender, every nationality, every status together, all together. Let me ask you, where, before the church, where was there a movement that actively sought to include every single human being, regardless of their ethnicity, regardless of their status, regardless of their wealth, regardless of their gender, every single individual human being was to be loved and transformed. Where before the church did that exist? It didn't. It didn't. Again, most people don't understand. Not only had there never been a community like this before, there had never been the idea of a community like this before. A community that would include everyone. Listen, that was Jesus' idea. He started it. And his movement, the Jesus movement, the church, the, the, the ecclesia, this movement keeps growing and growing. Even though those of us who, often, who lead, this group, lead this organization, lead this movement, often do such a horrible job. Even though so many of us followers of Jesus are just train wrecks. And that is not to say that apart from Jesus, there would never have been a vision of all the human race as a family. It's just that as a matter of historical reality, such a vision did occur in human history, and it began with a poverty-stricken, crucified son of a carpenter. Who was this man? Jesus also changed how we think about history. In the ancient world, people generally thought of existence in terms of cycles, just an endless rep repetition of ups and downs, this, this cycle of things. Events were dated by the rulers in the first year of Caesar Augustus and so on, things like that. Over time, the power of every Caesar, every Roman emperor, and their grip on the human imagination faded, but the strangest thing happened. Another vision grew more compelling, a vision that began with a man who had no power at all. Half a millennia after Jesus, in the 6th century, there was a monk. This monk, this follower of Jesus, proposed a calendar that was centered not on the Roman Empire, 
but on the birth of the carpenter, Jesus. The creation of the Christian calendar was not just a chronological convenience. It was a plan. It was an idea that that existence is not just a random cycle, but existence has meaning, and that our existence is, has purpose and is leading us somewhere. And it is critical. the critical event of that calendar is the life of this Jewish rabbi. Jesus himself lived and died, and Caesar and Rome never heard of his existence. But Jesus was called by his disciple, John, in the book of Revelation, within just a few decades of when Jesus lived. John called Jesus the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. And you understand if you heard that language, it's not just poetry. It's an idea. It's a philosophy. Take all the kings in the history of the world. Take all the powerful people, all the power brokers, all the CEOs, all the dictators, all the leaders of the world in all of history and put them in a group and Jesus is the king over them. And he's not just king, he's not just the greatest king, he is the king of kings, he is the lord of lords. And here we are 2,000 plus years after his birth, and any time any human being on the planet looks at the date, we are reminded daily that Jesus, none other, but Jesus has become the hinge of history. That the Roman emperor Nero died in the year 68 A.D., the year of our Lord. That Napoleon died in the year of our Lord, Anno Domini, 1821. That the tyrant Stalin died in the year of our Lord, 1953. That Queen Elizabeth died in the year of our Lord, 2022. Maybe Jesus is not the King of kings and Lord of lords, but how strange it is that every ruler who ever reigned, every nation that has ever existed, Every nation that has come and gone, rises and falls, must be dated in reference to the life of Jesus. Who was this man? Whatever you think about God, whatever you think about religion, who does this with their life? Jesus also shaped how we express compassion. All human beings have the capacity for compassion, but Jesus shaped this largely in ways maybe we don't understand today. In the ancient world, in Greece or Rome, it was generally the beautiful, the wealthy, the noble, the strong that were admired, kind of like Hollywood today. The rich might give money for, for public works, but it was really just a way to show the rich person's greatness. The weak, the marginal, they were considered useless and were not Valued. I talked a little bit about this last week, but in the first century, there was a Roman writer by the name of Seneca. And Seneca wrote this. In Rome, we drown children at birth when they are weak or abnormal. That wasn't considered embarrassing. That wasn't considered shameful. That was just how humans were thought of. We drown them at birth if they're abnormal or weak. In the ancient world, a child could be left to die if it was the wrong gender. Guess which gender that was? Yeah, in the ancient world, there were about 1.4 million boys for every 1 million girls. The other 400,000 girls were left to die. But these followers of Jesus, this movement of Jesus' people, this thing that they called the church, they remembered that Jesus said, let the little children come to me. 
And they actually started to take in those abandoned children. This happened. This is a historical fact. Every day they would go to the garbage dumps outside their cities and towns and rescue children that had been thrown away. Babies who had been left to, had been thrown away and left to die in the trash heaps outside the city gates. They began this practice, this church, these Jesus people, began this practice that they called godparents. And they would care for little children if their biological parents died. And they began these things called orphanages. And one of the reasons that the church grew so much in the first three centuries of the church was that there were two major pandemics, or we know what that's like now, don't we? Two major pandemics that destroyed up to one-third of the entire population. We've gone through something similar. didn't do quite that much damage. We've been through something similar. And when we went through that, what did we do? We panicked. Well, imagine the panic in the ancient world. If if one out of every three people was dying, one writer, ancient writer, said this, that it created such a panic in the general population that at the first onset of of the disease, people pushed the sufferers away, fled from their loved ones, throwing them into the roads before they were dead, and treated unburied corpses like dirt, hoping to avoid the fatal diseases. But people in this strange little community called the church, they would bring sick people in instead of pushing the sick people away. Sick people to whom they were not even related, who they did not know. They would bring them in and they would care for them. They would risk their own life to help heal them. And they did this all because Jesus, that they followed, had cared for the lepers and the blind and the deaf and the lame. In the fourth century, what was essentially the first hospital was begun by a man named Benedict, a man who followed Jesus. By the sixth century, religious communities, monasteries around the world, the, 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 the groups of, of church people, Jesus people, who followed Jesus, these monasteries would commonly have hospitals attached to them. And over time, this idea that we ought to have compassion on, on people when they suffer began to spread, and it began to take root in the human race. At the Geneva Convention in 1864, an organization was begun to alleviate human suffering, and they chose as its symbol a large cross on its flag. It's known as the Red Cross. It's not an accident. When you hear of groups like the Red Cross or the Salvation Army or World Vision or the YMCA or Goodwill or Easter Seals or Habitat for Humanity, when you go to a hospital and the hospital has a name like Mercy or Good Samaritan or St. Jude's, you are seeing the shadow of Jesus. The autistic or Down syndrome, the disabled, the mentally ill, the broken, these were viewed by our ancient ancestors as a burden to be discarded, to see them instead as image bearers of God, divine glory who can teach us. That's what Jesus saw, and that's what Jesus' people, Jesus' movement began to do. Again, this is not to say that there would be no compassion in our world without Christianity. And God knows those of us who call ourselves Christians, we fall way short of this standard that Jesus set for us. But one writer put it like this. If you ask, 
What is Jesus' influence on medicine and compassion? I would suggest that wherever you have an institution of self-giving for the lowly, schools, hospitals, hospices, and orphanages, for those who will never be able to repay, this probably has its roots in the movement of Jesus. Who does this? Who was this man? You also need to know that Jesus and the church, Jesus' followers, shaped education. People have always loved to learn, but in the ancient world, in the Greeks and the Roman world, formal education was reserved for the male children of wealthy families. Females, sorry ladies, you were out. If you're poor, sorry, you're out. You don't have a chance. But suddenly there's this weird little community called the church, these Jesus people. And they remembered that they followed a guy who taught everybody and commanded them to go out and to teach everybody. So they started to teach everybody, men and women, boys and girls, slave and free, wealthy and poor. Nobody, nobody was doing that before the Jesus people started doing that. By the time the fourth century rolls around, some of Jesus' Jesus's followers had enter, in, entered into these communities, these monastic communities, and for centuries, these were the only institutions in all of Europe um, that would collect and preserve books. Not just the Bible, any book, but also the great, the great classic pagan text. These monasteries would preserve these books in libraries, and so churches began to build schools, and then the churches began to build universities in order to teach people. The University of Paris, it was maybe the first one of, the, of these universities, was started about the 12th century, started by the church. And then came Oxford and Cambridge, and they were built by the church. The motto of Oxford University is, the Lord is my light. The, you see the Latin in front of you, the, the translated, the Lord is my light. And then Harvard and Yale in the United States. 92%, 92% of all colleges and universities that were started in the United States before the Civil War were founded in the name of Jesus. When the Reformation, with, the, with the Reformation came the idea that every individual ought to be able to read the Bible for themselves. And with that, more than anything else, ignited a dream for universal literacy that everybody ought to be able to read. The sciences spurred out of a desire to know and discover the God who was the creator of the universe. The great expansion of technology in the Middle Ages was in monastic communities, monks. Mechanical clocks were invented because the monks needed to know what time to pray. We first hear about eyeglasses in a sermon <laughs> because monks needed to be able to pour over the text for long hours. I'm not making this up. Dom Perignon, the champagne, yeah, was actually the name, Dom Perignon was actually the name of a Benedictine monk who contributed to the production and development of champagne. I guess because there were no Baptists around to tell him not to drink it, I don't know, but that, that's what happened. The, the alphabet of the Slavic people is called Cyrillic. They had no written alphabet, so a follower of Jesus by the name of Cyril created one for them so they would be able to read the Bible. And in nation after nation, followers of Jesus found languages that had not yet been committed to writing. And in acts of amazing sacrifice and heroism, they set about to developing written languages so that people could read 
the Bible. In many, many cases, the first effort at scientific study of languages came from Christian missionaries. They compiled the first dictionaries. They wrote the first grammars. They developed the first alphabets, the first important proper name written in more languages than any other name was the name of, can you guess who? Jesus, yeah. Who himself, by the way, never wrote a book. The Gospels, the biographies of Jesus, as you and I have at our fingertips on our phones, in, in our homes, those Gospels, those biographies of Jesus have been translated into more than 2,200 languages. No other book has been translated one-fifth that many. Who was this man? It's almost harder to explain the impact of Jesus if you consider him just as a man. Jesus also revolutionized art. Imagine this. Without Jesus, without the church, without the Jesus movement, there is no Johann Bach, who signed all of his works to the glory of God. There's no Hallelujah Chorus. There's no Mozart's Requiem. There's no Gregorian chants. In fact, if you've ever had a music lesson, modern note notation that we use around the world today was the invention of the church so that the worship of Jesus could spread. Imagine a world with no Sistine Chapel, no Da Vinci's Last Supper. There simply had been has been no transcendent vision of reality that has gripped the artistic imagination like the vision of Jesus. But Jesus and the church, Jesus' movement, also changed how we think of human rights and dignity. You know, you, all of you know these words. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal and have been endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights. Where did that idea come from? Because a lot of people in the ancient world did not hold that to be self-evident. Aristotle said, some men are born to be slaves. It was just understood. Where did this idea come from that all people were created equal and have been endowed by their creator? It's from Jesus and the Jesus movement. You often hear people in our day say things like, oh, well, I believe in a God of love. And I, I love that expression. I believe in a God of love. Well, that's an idea that came from someplace. Where'd it come from? Because in the ancient world, no one said, oh, I love the gods. I love Zeus. I love Poseidon. I love Baal. They didn't say that. It was Jesus who brought about a new way of thinking about God and love and how we relate to, to God as a God of love. <clears throat> when I was a little kid, I used to love playing this game. Um, I, I, we called it Daddy's Home. I don't know, kind of a weird name, I guess. But late every afternoon, little Larry would be up in his bedroom playing or down in the kitchen having a snack, and he would hear the front door of the house open, which meant Daddy was home. And little Larry would just run down the steps, run down the hall to where my dad was walking in the front door, and I would just run as fast as I could, and little Larry would just, little chubby legs, take a leap, flying leap as best he could, and just jump right up into my dad's arms. And I always knew that by the time I got there, dad would have put his briefcase down, put his coat down, and he'd been ready to catch me and squeeze me tight and kind of rock me around and dad would always catch me and I loved that game because it meant that my daddy loved me daddy's home well then one day my mom told me that I was going to have to stop playing that game my dad couldn't even bring himself to tell me my mom told me I said why I don't want to stop I love playing daddy's home. She says, it's not that your father doesn't love you, because he does. And it's not that he always won't be there for you, because he will. It's just that your 
37 years old. Sooner or later, human arms get tired. Jesus would tell stories about God that did not exist in the ancient world. Stories that would describe God like a father, like a daddy. A father who was racked by tormented love, even for his most wayward child. God is love. This has serious implications about human worth and dignity. Listen to the words of Paul again. This is from Galatians this time. Very similar to what we read in Colossians a minute ago. He says, there is no Jew or Greek. There is no slave or free. There is no male or female since you are all one in Christ. You are one. We are one in Christ. Historian Thomas Cahill said, this is the, talking about this verse, this is the first expression of human equality in all of human history. Very often, Christian individuals and Christian nations and churches and leaders, we violate this. But the power of Jesus' teaching has this amazing way of refusing to stay submerged. It keeps bubbling up. That's why important movements like abolition are over, overwhelmingly led by followers of Jesus. Jesus uniquely taught us to love our enemies. Again, the idea that you're supposed to love your enemy, that's not a natural human idea. In Rome, the idea was help your friends, hurt your enemies. But there was once a man who said, turn the other cheek. Go the extra mile. Love your enemy. Bless those who persecute you. Who was this man? Maybe the better question is, who is this man? Let me tell you who he is. He's the hinge of history. He is the hope of the oppressed. He is the inspiration of the despairing. He is the king of kings and the lord of lords. He is the greatest teacher who ever taught he offered the greatest gift that has ever been given. He launched the greatest movement that the world has ever known. He alone mastered life. He alone conquered death. He alone overcame sin. He alone grows more, not less, more present with every passing year. He is the Son of God and the glory of humankind. This crucified carpenter of Nazareth is the hope of nations and the savior of the world. That's who this man is. And the church, the church was his idea. And the church is his hands and feet in the world today to continue to change and to continue to rescue. Let me pray for you. Community team, you go ahead and take your places. God, we thank you for this church and for this moment. Thank you for all who have heard these words, both in this room and on this broadcast today. We marvel again, God, whatever we think about the idea of religion or, or the supernatural, we, we just marvel at this life that has left such an incredible impact on all of human history and such an incredible impact on all of our lives. So God, would you help right now, help every man and woman and child in this room and on this broadcast, help every one of us as we reflect on the life of Jesus and we reflect on our own lives. God, would you make yourself known so that each one of us may come to meet and to know this man, Jesus. We pray this in his wonderful name.